The Jeremy R. Knowles Professor of Molecular and Cellular Biology and Santiago Ramon y Cajal Professor of Arts and Sciences tell us more. Let's give it up Professor Jeff Lickman. Uh, I'm a neurobiologist. I study the brain and I am somewhat of a uh, savant when it comes to brain wires since I've been looking at them for over 30 years, which is older than most of you. And I have been thinking about brain wires for all this time. Uh, wires of the brain are important because the brain is made up of nerve cells that are connected by these wires. And if you understand these wires, if you get the full wiring diagram, presumably you would get a detailed look at what the brain is like. And I've spent a good deal of time developing techniques to get us closer and closer to seeing every single wire. One of these techniques is shown here. This is a technique we developed. Uh, Josh Sains, who's another professor here, and I developed this technique to label nerve cells so that every nerve cell is a different color. And we gave this uh, technique the name Brainbow. And that gives you an uh, ability to see lots of wires. And then to, to go really deep into fine resolution uh, recently, We've developed another technique, a serial electron microscopy technique that allows us to see not only every wire, but every synapse, where every wire connects with another nerve cell. And inside those little uh, synapses are those little white dots, which are the packets of neurotransmitter. So uh, this is a lot not about big ideas, this. This is a lot about big data. And uh, rather than talk about big data, given the shortness uh, of the time we have together, I thought I would talk about the idea that has been mulling in my head for the past 30 years, largely based on what I've been seeing in these wiring diagrams. Um, and I'm going to talk about this big idea in five quick parts. And the first part uh, of this big idea is one that should make most of you, at least the human beings in the audience, feel good. And that is human beings are special. And I think that's uh, good news for all of us, except the mice in the corner and some of the insects in this room. And uh, you might ask yourself, uh, why are we special? And it's not just because human beings are homo sapien chauvinists. I think we're special for a more important reason. And the specialness actually stems exclusively, I think, from our brains. Um, to make this a little clearer, our um, livers and our lungs and our kidneys, they're, they're fine, but they're in no way, not the least bit, extraordinary. Uh, they're just like the livers, lungs, and um, other organs of other animals. Uh, but when it comes to our brain, uh, we really have a very different brain than other animals. And here's the mystery. When you look at our brain with a microscope, zoom up on a little piece of it and look at the brain of, let's say, a mouse, um, you would have a hard time, even me, as an expert, a savant, at looking at brains to tell the difference between a brain of a mouse and a brain of a human, other than the fact that we have more brain. So it's kind of a mystery why our brains are so special. And, and I want to explain what it is that's so special about us. All animals have very complicated behaviors, and for most animals, those behaviors come directly from the genetic program, from their heritage. Animals behave, they make nests if they're birds of a particular shape, largely because of their genetic background. And so that each animal has a behavioral repertoire, and that goes across the whole species. But with humans, we have this vast range of repertoires. We can do many things. For example, there are humans that are pole vaulters, philosophers, airplane pilots, 
poets, pianists, and that's just the P's. You know, we could just go through every letter of the alphabet and get a huge number of things. The diversity of different behavioral repertoires that humans have is tremendous. And each of these repertoires, pie makers might also be in that list, each of these repertoires requires tremendous amount of skill. And no single human being can do all those things. But as a species, we can do all those things, and there's no animal like that, us. That's one big difference. We have more behaviors than any other animal. And the other difference is that these behaviors are not fixed. We'll take airplane pilots. Uh, that behavior emerged about 110 years ago after humans invented airplanes. And before that, there were no airplane pilots, not surprisingly, and we take this for granted, but there's no other animal that has this kind of behavioral flexibility. And this, you know, for a long time, new behavioral repertoires were coming up very rarely. There must have been centuries where people were the same uh, from what their parents did and what their grandparents did. But this has been changing. Behavioral repertoires are going much faster now. In fact, uh, at such an alarming rate uh, that the, behaviors, the behavioral repertoires needed to stay in pace with the world around us is getting to a point where it's almost impossible. I've had maybe five generations of cell phones since I got my first cell phone. And my first cell phone I completely mastered. It made calls and it, it took calls. But each progressive cell phone had more and more stuff in it. And now my newest cell phone is one of these more complicated things. 99% of what's on there I have no idea what to do with. And I'll never know what to do with it. These, these behaviors you need to do it, I don't have in my own brain. And I probably never will. And I'll come back to the problem uh, that that raises in a second. So I want to... Um, make it clear that we are a separate animal from these others because these behaviors are clearly not coming from our genes. They're coming from our environment. And we have a distinct biological reason of why this occurs, why we can have all these different behaviors. And it may seem like a disadvantage, but it's a supreme advantage that makes us almost unique in all animals. And that is big idea part two, we have the distinct advantage of coming into the world knowing less about it than any other animal. We're all idiots when we're born, complete idiots. We don't know anything. And in fact, if you think of what a human baby can do, it is the least impressive of all babies. <laughs> it poops, it pees, it vomits, it coughs, it cries. That's it, basically. It doesn't even turn over. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. It, and it's hopeless, helpless, it's a pathetic creature, and we all start out that way. What that means is everything we need to know, we have to get from the world around us, not from our genes. Other animals come into the world knowing a lot about the world. We actually have to go to school. We have to waste time going to school. Other animals don't have to go to school. They know already what they're supposed to do. So this is a tremendous, uh, seems like a disadvantage, but it means your behaviors are going to be more in tune with the world you find yourself in. The other point about these behaviors is not only uh, that we get them by learning, and that's the other thing babies do very well is learn, is that we learn for way longer than any other animal. It takes a human being one year to learn how to walk. There's no animal that takes that long to learn how to do something like that. Every other animal knows how to walk, or almost knows how to walk at birth, not humans. 
It, a mouse gets to be an adult walker by two weeks of age. A human, it's a year. And then you have to wait another 15 years after that to get your driver's license. I say, <laughs> crazy. And, and after that, two more years before you leave the nest. All of you, you've left the nest. Are you grown up? Apparently not, because you're still in school for another <laughs> four years. And then some of you are going to go on to graduate school or medical school or law school. That's another four years if it's medical school. And some of you, like me, might do an MD and a PhD. That's eight years. Then are you ready to grow up? No. Well, if you're going in medicine, you have to be a resident for three years. And then after that, are you ready? Well, yes, finally, you now can get a job. You're board certified. And what do they make you? They make you an assistant professor. And then you have to do that for a few years. Then finally, ah, I'm an associate professor. Great. And then finally, 10 years later, you're a full professor. And by that point, you are certifiably old and you don't care anymore. <laughs> and, and this is the nature of what happens to every one of us. But by the time you reach that magic state of master, you're no longer the student, you're the master, you know an extraordinarily large amount about an extraordinarily narrow part of the swath of all the things you could know. But you are a master, and that behavioral repertoire has come from that particular uh, set of training. Now, that's the good news, if you think that's good news, but there's a bad news, there's a caveat about this, and this comes from looking at brains in development. And here is the but. Learning destroys neural circuits, and this is scary, but the way you get to be a very smart adult is by changing the wiring diagram of your brain. And I see this in every baby animal I look at. When you look at a baby animal that knows nothing, you might imagine that it doesn't have wires yet to do these things. No, it's just the opposite. It's kind of wired up for every possible contingency. And then, thanks to its parents, teachers, the internet, its friends, what it sees, what it hears, the vast majority of what it could have been is eliminated and it's left with a small subset of what it was. And that small subset is finally what it becomes. And that uh, is bad because it's a one-way street. You lose and then you're, you, you lose everything but what you become. And so I want to uh, emphasize this with uh, a, a, a uh, expression that comes from the Talmud uh, from 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's imlo akshav ai matai, which I, I don't speak Hebrew, so I, I can't tell you much more about it, except that when someone translated this for me and told me this is very important, I realized that my mother had been telling me this exact phrase thousands of times growing up, and it's the message I have for you. And the message is basically uh, what she would say to me when it was time to do something, like clean my room, or help my sister, or practice the piano, or do my homework, I'd say, not now. And she would say, and I didn't know she was a Talmudic scholar, but she apparently knew this, and she would say, and if not now, then when? And that is the key for all of you to think about. It is time. It is time for you to think about what you're going to do next, because your brain is pruning away. And if you're just coasting now, waiting for that magic moment, it's going to be too late. Uh, and I know a lot of you uh, will just dismiss this. Some of you may feel a little sense of panic. And so I want to end just with one last idea, which is, I could be wrong. A a 
and let me tell you why I'm sure I could be wrong, because I have been thinking about this idea about pruning for such a long time. It's been in my mind such a long time. All the alternative ways to think about the world have been pruned away. <laughs> so if that gives you any solace, good luck to you. Thank you very much.